Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as usual I'm here with my co-host Lewis. Hello Lewis. Hello. How are we doing? Oh we're doing very well. We're doing very well. Good, good. I know, lots going on in your world at the moment, all good as well isn't it? So uh... Yes, lots going on, lots going on, lots going on for you as well. Yes, yeah, we're both both busy people at the moment, aren't we? So uh, yeah, hence the small hiatus in our uh, in our podcast. Yes, yes, we're a bit delayed from where we wanted to uh, follow up from episode twelve, but yeah, we've both got very very busy uh, work lives at the moment, haven't we? So uh, indeed we do. So, uh, but here we are doing episode thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you recovered from E three. I have recovered from E3. It was uh, it was an adventure. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. I will go back properly next time, because I only managed to get one and a half days out of it. Um, so next time I go back, I'm going to go for the full three days, go and get the exhibitor pass early on, and actually see some stuff before it's all taken away. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to go. It's a show I'd like to go to one day as well, I have to say. It's, it's we'll both go. Something. Yeah, maybe we'll both go one day. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I'd definitely like to check it out. Okay, so on to today's episode. Today, we're going to start our look at the ghoul force franchise so ghoul force is a sort of long-running anime franchise sort of through the late 80s and early 90s Um, we're going to go over three episodes we're going to take a look so we'll do the first part of it today and then in five six episodes we'll do the second part and then you know five six episodes after that we'll do the final part so we'll spread it out over a series of episodes Today we're going to do the original storyline, which is the Eternal Story, Destruction and Stardust War anime. In the second episode we'll cover up the sort of second story arc to Ghoul Force, which is Ray Gold Force, Earth Chapter and New Era. And in the third episode we will cover the spin-offs Ten Little Girl Force and Scramble Wars. And Ghoul Force The Revolution, which was a remake attempt to uh, sort of reboot the series but didn't really get anywhere. Ghoul Force first appeared in Model Graphics magazine in March 1985 as Ghoul Force Starfront. Uh, this was a photo novel using scratch-built models accompanied by illustrations and ran for about a year. The story from Starfront would form the basis of the story for the Eternal Story anime, and uh, which was released in July 1986. The original series up to and including New Era was directed by Katsuhito Akiyama, who would carry on his sci-fi action girl theme with the first four episodes of Bubblegum Crisis and the first episode of Sol Bianca. But um, he's quite a prolific director and he's directed a load of other stuff which people would have heard of, including um, Inazuma 11 Football Anime, Guyver by Boosted Armour, TV series, um, Armitage, Dual Matrix movie, to name but a few. So, yeah, quite prolific the character designs were done by Kenichi Sonoda, again, another very prolific character designer through the late 80s, early 90s. Has a very distinctive style, can be seen in anime such as Riding Bean and Gunsmith Cats. Uh, the whole franchise was produced by AIC Artmic. The original six movies, OVAs from Eternal Story New Era, were all licensed by CPM, but went out of print. You know, when CPM went bust 10 years ago, Ten Little Ghoul Force and Scramble Wars was released as a videotape, as a dual feature, super deformed action or something it was called on VHS by Animago, but that's long, long out of print and hasn't seen a release on DVD since then. And Skill Force, the Revolution remake has, has never been released in the West. And before we get started, so I've seen this many times, but Lewis, this is your first uh, viewing of Ghoul Force, isn't it? 
It has been indeed, and what what a roller coaster! <laughs> so we'll get straight into it then. So, Ghoul Force Eternal Story, it's a 1986 movie, as I said, was released by Central Park Media, but now out of print. Brief synopsis, two races, the Solnoids and the Paranoids, have been waging war for centuries, barely surviving a large-scale space battle, seven Solnoids set course towards chaos, a planet set to be the new homeland for their race. A malfunction during the lightspeed journey makes their ship jump ahead of their fleet, forcing them to encounter several problems on their own. So, Lewis, what did you think mm. of Ghoul Force Eternal Story? Um, it was, it was, was it originally designed to be a standalone movie without its? Yeah, see, I, it's a good question, because I think it was. I've, I've deliberately looked up quite extensively across the internet to try and figure that out, and I can't work it out. I think it was, and then I think it was reasonably successful, and they made the second two parts. Mm. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense to me. You know, it was quite snappy. It didn't it didn't mess mm. around in yeah, the first, I agree. The first yeah. little while. But the Luffy uh, character, I I <laughs> genuinely despised. Oh really? <laughs> for, for 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 like most of it, I was like, ah. Oh. And then she got obviously she gets left behind in um yeah after her her heroic moment where she, it was meant to be this turnaround moment and it it was built it wasn't really built up in the fact that you know there's the the plot device of like her crushing her um her hero service medal um, yeah. Yeah, and then that character development point is to her like turning the corner, like I'll show you I can be a hero, and then there isn't really enough of a, a redemption thing there in the movie itself for her to be like for me to give a really give a crap that she's she's then um, shafted off. But then yeah. obviously in the second and third installments, I was like I actually really like her. Yeah, right, okay. It's interesting you say that because her relationship up to that point, you know, Rabbi doesn't trust her and mm. and everything else because she's. She's a, I can't remember what she's called her now. It's not Annihilator, it escaped me. But, you know, she's a special pilot and all the rest of it. Mm. And then just it gets to the point of they sort of see eye to eye. She goes off in space and then dies, so to yeah. speak, and gets left there while then the sort of last third of the story carries on without her. Mm. I mean, I agree. I think it's well paced. You know, for 80 minutes, I think it chips along at a really, really good pace. It's never a dull moment. It never feels over long, or it never feels like the story's trying to cram too much in. I think, from a pacing point of view, I think it's really, really good. Yeah, um, and it, and for going through the paces, it certainly fits a lot of, I feel like, inspirational references in uh, fairly early on. Yeah. From the point where they're like, uh, it feels like they've managed to mash in Lost in Space, a space odyssey, and Alien into the first yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, the early it, themes. It really does borrow from a lot of Hollywood mm. sci-fi from from the time, you know, from the late 70s and early 80s. It, it yeah. really does. Alien, you know, during the bit when um, the paranoid boards the Starleaf and, uh, you know, sets off the species unification plan. Yeah, the inciting incident for the rest you know, of the, the, the journey. Yeah, that bit, definitely the whole sort of skulking around the ship, 
trying to find this thing that sort of appears from anywhere. Uh, yeah, it's definitely very, very, very strong alien vibe from that. But also stuff from Star Trek, the bit where Elsa dies and they send her off out to space. You know, that yeah, is the, the, the spot yeah. death from Star Trek 2. And then the whole mm. thing with the um, the embryo growing up on this planet, growing really fast. I mean, that's straight from Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could just see it riffing. There's a bit, actually, when they're on Chaos and they're on hover bikes speeding through the forest. Yeah, uh, you know that's like the uh, bit from Endor from Return of the Jedi, and I think it even uses the sound effect from Return <laughs> of the Jedi as well. You know, it's just it riffs on a lot, but I don't think it's anything poorer for it. I think it's, you can no. go, oh, that's from there, that's from there, but I don't know. It doesn't spoil the film for me. Um, no, no, it, it, it's I enjoyed the nods. Like, um, yeah, they didn't really build up the relationship the android versus the was it the X XO. Whichever they call the, what's the spaceship computer system called? Oh yeah, um, OX11 or EX11 yeah, or something. Yeah, OX11. Yeah. That rings me. Yeah, that that whole um, HAL 9000. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you tell us what's going on? Like, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm exactly. Sorry, yeah. I mean, I'm afraid absolutely. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Completely ripped from HAL from um, Space Odyssey. Yeah. So there's <laughs> still stuff from all over the place. But like I say, I don't think it suffers for it. No, and it's not a shameless. It's not a shameless rip, and it is. It, they're just cute little inspirations. Yeah. That it's not necessarily a direct nod, or it's not necessarily taken, but it is one of those things where you, 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 you if you can make that connection, you're like, no, oh, that's that's nice. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> but I have to admit, Eternal Story, it's it's not perfect by any means. You know, like I say, it's not original in places. Some of the characters are a bit one-dimensional. It's not terribly original in places, but. It's one of those anime that just pushes all my buttons in the right way. You know, mm. it's. I think everyone has these things in whatever hobby they get, especially for films and music and stuff like anime. But it's one of those things that when I watch it, I'm like, this is why I like anime. You know, it's one yeah. of those things that reminds me why I'm so into it. It just, it does so many things, looks, music, story, action, does mecha design, ship design, everything. It does it so... The- right for me personally that i just you know i just really really like it yeah i 100 for most of the old anime we've seen i've never felt on the edge of my seat on some some moments yeah and uh i watched i rewatched the first scene in both the original vocal track and also in the uh, english dub oh yeah and without with the english dub there's no suspense at all because it's all very yeah, uh, it's westernized. It is, yeah yeah it's a terrible dub and they even reuse some sound uh, voice samples. What is it when Luffy tells the little ditzy lolly character one? Uh, oh yeah, uh, Rumi. Rumi, yeah, that she is going to be okay and she can trust her. That exact vo- vocal sample, that exact voice line is repeated about three minutes later. Oh uh, really? Uh, yeah, it's got. I was oh, like, oh, really? Is that, I, I listened to it back. I was like, that's gas. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, that was quite something else. But no, I, in the original, in the original dub, the uh, did feel like that the initial fight scenes and all the suspense before everything goes off and they actually yeah. go into hyperspace. That, that was actually a really intense moment. The, the the animation quality, the ship combats and all of it just really felt impactful. Yeah, and I think the opening battle, I think it really, the scale of the space battle mm. really, really creates an epic scale to the series. You know, it's mm. it really is this sort Dang. of whole, you know, intergalactic war between two species. Yeah. Really and it's interlaced perfectly. Yeah. The, I really want to like the one thing I really like had to watch back a few times is the way they uh, they warped in. Yeah. Um, 
I think the the paranoids, the way they walk it warp in, it might be the paranoids, but it's like that whole the circle thing and yeah, and then they just yeah. come in and it's just like that's sick. That's yeah. probably the best sound design I've heard like for space combat in a long time. <laughs> and that whole design, I think, the way it looks and details like the way they jump in and out of hyperspace or light speed. Um, you know, the sort of graphics on the screen and all the detail in the ships. I mean, it's really, you know, it's really sort of hardcore sci-fi. Yeah, it really detail is. Detail really, really is. And There's a lot of grit as well to it. That, yeah. um, it's sometimes, I think, because of the timing and the, maybe the era that some of the script writing undermines the grit of the situation. And mm-hmm. it, could be, it could be a lot more digestible. Yeah, uh, because some of the characters sort of undermine the gravity of the situation in some re- regards, which does get better in the other ones. But since we're talking about the the, the first yeah. um, standalone movie, then the, the, I feel like yeah, some of the character play does undermine the gravity of the situation when it comes down to it. Yeah. But overall, the quality of the animation, the pan shots, the there's there's actual mm. weight to everything that goes on in yes. in space for something that's weightless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I think it is now. 32 years old it does feel a bit old-fashioned i think i can see that i think it's a very much a thing of its time but i think you know if you look at the characters and i think it's probably the characterization they're a bit one-dimensional they're a bit silly if you look at how the characters are split out you have the leader you have Rumi who's this ditzy blonde you know where she's screwing up her orders when they're launching the fighters you know it's that sort of stuff Luffy, who's the spunky space pilot, uh, you know, the the computer engineer, the android, you know, it's got this very set, you know, segregated group of characters. And that I think that really ages it for modern anime viewers. But yeah. I think beyond that, though, I think it's a really, really good story. And I mean, it's full of Cold War references, you know, the whole yeah, two, two, destruction. two mm. species sort of facing off, you know, to ultimate destruction. Um, yeah. You know, you start to go get that Cold War allegory through it. I was just going to say that the faceless leaders sort of thing, like uh, yes. where, where your main characters are all, you know, you yeah. see their faces and everything else. The people who are calling the shots are the ones that have just got everything hidden about them. Yeah. Um, you know, visors, masks. Uh, one of them just projects their, her face through a, a robot like she's um, always on the battlefield, but is likely, you know, off world yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. It, it's, it's very much like a whole political statement but very well executed (laughs) yeah i mean there's a few other things as well that i think maybe date it and you know a bit cheesy there's two montage scenes um there's one when they're on their way to chaos and then there's one when they're on chaos um Mm. or when they're having a dream sequence rather sorry and uh, you know they do feel a bit cheesy (laughs) you know there's lots of nudity there's lots of breasts in it you know and there's that whole fan servicey bit which sort of yeah designed for yeah. taku which yeah i mean it's kind of expected for that sort of show i you know i think if it wasn't there i'd probably be a bit disappointed but you know for a mid-80s I, I, anime show it's there i'll say a bit cheesy but you know they serve their role a bit you know in, in moving the story along or yeah. quickly fitting a load of stuff in it is definitely definitely a very 80s anime way of shifting the, the timeline along where you know they're like oh, we can they didn't really use that time to do any character dialogue about getting over the loss of, of Luffy and everything yeah. like that. It was, it was just they used slow panning shots of girls in showers 
you know, all that sort of all that sort of thing, just looking very contemplative, uh, with music hiked up into the background as they yeah, were going yeah. through some psychedelic hyperspace. And that goes on for arguably too long, but yeah. in today's in today's standard, arguably too long. Yeah. Because um, we could we'd be able to establish that through a little bit of you know nowadays they'd be achieving the same thing through half the time and a bit of character dialogue. Uh, but it's it's staple of the era, and it's just it's just purely there to move that um, yeah move the the audience along. Going well, that's happened here. They're now reflecting, and now we're straight back into the girls being uh, those little sassy girls that they're yeah. always going to be in space. But yeah, I mean, it's. I think the story's quite well structured. You know, it's got a clear beginning, a clear middle, and a clear ending. And I love the way the ending ramps up as well. Once they're on chaos, and you've got this whole conspiracy theory bit going on between the paranoid and solenoid. You know, behind the scenes, they're working on this species unification plan. There's only a few people that know about it because when you know, when the solenoids come in to take in and then the other group above them come in and sort of start shooting their own people, mm. um, you know, and they don't know. That whole bit, the way that ramps up and the computer switches off the defence mechanism so both sides can land on chaos and try and get, you know, get this contact point or whatever it's called, you know, that was born from Rabbi. Uh, you know, I think it ramp, I just ramps up really well. And again, there's some great imagery. The, the bit where the solenoid command ship or special forces ship uh comes down onto chaos it's a really you know it's really the artwork on it is absolutely fantastic and it looks mm. really gorgeous and the solenoid battle mech thing as well you know it just it all just looks really really good and it just comes to a really quite a satisfying conclusion and yeah. you know as you say i mean i i believe this was because this was a movie and then there were ovas that followed mm. um so I think this was stand on it wraps itself up. You know, if this was the only thing, it, it's a complete story. And, you know, it, it ties itself. It doesn't really leave many loose ends. It kind of says, well, what could go on? Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, but it's it's a complete story. And, yeah, it works out really well. It does, yeah. It does. It's the one thing I, they must have had some notion about the OVAs that would follow it up. Yeah. The, the ending, post-ending scene, once everything, you know, kicks off and they escape and they basically remain in Sector 9 of, of space, yeah. having saved it from the planetary destroyers. Yeah. It then goes on to sort of like nod at like, look at modern day Earth. Yeah, see, um, I, I'm not and, sure whether... And Luffy is there. yeah. The, all the characters are there, living yeah. like normal, like... Oh, of course, yeah, they, yeah, living all the, normal you see, lives. all the characters, and I, see, I don't know whether that's some it's nod of what could have been, or it was some time, centuries before, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's the... what the human race was, and it ended up becoming the Solnoid. I mean, yeah. I don't know, I mean, it's, you could interpret that in many, many different ways. Yeah, it just feels oddly slotted in for something that yes. knows, if, if they knew to have a follow-up, like... Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit of an odd addition, I agree. Whenever I see it, I still, and I've watched Eternal Story many, many times, I still a bit like, oh, I'm not sure how that really, what that's trying to say. You know, is it, well, this what a peace, if these people were living in a normal, peaceful world, this is what mm. they would be doing, or this is what they were doing millennia ago, yeah. or this is what they could be doing in millennia to come. I don't know, It could you can interpret it in, in many, many different ways. So, uh on top of that, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about the animation, but I think some of the other things, I like the way the ship's missiles sort of go backwards and then out. I think that's a really cool little feature. It looks really good. I love the details. There's a few other little bits as well that you see. The bunny ears on 
Rabi's comm set, you know, it's very uh, something that which you would see on the the armored suits in um, Bubblegum Crisis. Mm. Yeah, and I think it was interesting how with the story, you know, where uh, Luffy got left in space, it was kind of like, well, again, if she just died, well, she just died, but it certainly left an opening if they wanted to carry on something, you know. Mm. So interestingly, if you look at reviews across the internet of this, it's very, very mixed. It is quite a divisive series. People seem to like it or they don't. Uh, there seems yeah. to be very, again, very, very little middle ground on it. Is that is that because like I can see where the other side would come from in the fact that potentially uh, after the first roller coaster scenes that it becomes a bit of a slugfest of preachiness, mm. but it's still enjoyable. It's still yeah. it's, it's not something I feel put out for having experienced. Like yeah, is this um is this the series in general? Or just that each each individual. Well, no, if you yeah. just look at Eternal Story. Um, mm. It gets very mixed, well, a, a very sort of polarised view of um, reviews. It either tends to get sort of quite high up or it gets sort of, you know, I mean, you know, seven, eights, nines, or it gets, you know, two, threes, fours. It doesn't really seem to get much in that middle middle space, mm. which is quite interesting. You know, where this sits in, you know, I said, 32 years later, looking back on it, I think it's quite easy to be quite dismissive as we said about the characters and maybe the art style looks a bit old fashioned these days, you know, it's got that sort of eighties look, but mm. when it was produced in 1986, when AIC and Artmic were just really getting into their strides in the anime market, it was only, I think the first part of Megazone two, three that had been released by them before this. And then you had eternal story. And then six months later you had Bubblegum crisis and, you know, everyone goes on and on about Bubblegum Crisis, but a lot of the people that worked on Bubblegum Crisis worked on this first. So um, Akiyama did, the animation director, Sonoda, the screenplay scriptwriter. They all went from this and then at Artmic AIC then went and did Bubblegum Crisis. So, you know, it was the genesis of really what Artmic uh, went on to do. So in that respect, I think it's quite key because it was... You know, the art style, mecha animation and sort of robot yeah. and vehicle design. You would see that a lot through a lot of AIC art mix shows. And it was a very distinctive style compared to what the likes of Sunrise, Tatsunoko um, were producing. You know, the sort of mecha powerhouses, um, Ashi Productions, that early 80s on Toei, people like that. What, what mecha had been or sci-fi had been through the late 70s into... The early 80s then what AIC did I think they were doing something really different and and I, I really you know with Megazone 2, 3 and then this it was really the stepping stone into what came after and you know the likes of Toshihiro Hirano and Masami Ibari you mm. know I think because Artmic did that early stuff they got their chance there with it so mm. I think it's we more you know it's got a sort of more significant place in sort of anime history than people really give it credit for well, I, I think you're definitely right there because the the sheer quality of the design of of everything, yeah, like in in tech wise, the ships are all extremely unique and heavily detailed. Yeah. Uh, then they've got a completely, you know, gritty, unique art style to the the big full suit robot yeah. mechs. Yeah. And they've got another incredible uh, art style to the uh, the spacesuit. Mechs and yeah. the diversity. There's a huge diversity of, of vehicles. Like mm. you know, the, in other 
other mecha anime titles, they wouldn't have such a diverse range of, of you know, man-made vehicles. Yeah. Uh, but they're all, each and every one of them is created and animated organically. Yeah. As you'd expect them to move. So from the red bodysuit, the uh, just the, the regular spacesuit, the red bodysuit, the full robotic Gundams, the speeders, the, every aspect of travel in that universe has been yeah. thought about and animated beautifully. Yeah. And I really yeah. like how the Solnoid and Paranoid are really distinctive as well. Mm. They, they, yeah. Know, they're, they're really different. Yeah. Um, they really built on that. So you've, you've got that. Um, I really like Sonoda's character designs. They're very distinctive. Um, and I think he was... He did a lot of other stuff through the 80s and 90s, as, as we said, but I think, you know, I think his designs are really pure in this. Um, this was the first thing he did, so it's, um, yeah, I, I really, really like that. And I think it's got a great score as well. I think the music's really good. Mm. Um, there's a really catchy, pumping tune, um, which I will put interspersed through the podcast. But, um, yeah, I think it's all round. It, it does a lot of things very well, and I think it's very easy to be dismissive of it, but um, I think it's... Actually, I, th- I do think it's quite a strong title, and you know, more people should check it out. I mean, for me, this is a—I would recommend people to go and see this. Um, mm. I think it's very easy to overlook. You know, it lives in Bubblegum Crisis shadow, um, and a bit unfairly, I think. You know, I think if you like Bubblegum Crisis, if you like stuff like Detonator Organ or Hades Project Zerama or Dangeo or Megazone Two Three, if you like any of that sort of stuff, then you will really like Ghoul Force Eternal Story. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what would you score it out of 10? Um, I'd like to give it uh, an 8. Oh, okay. That was a bit I'd higher like than it... I thought, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to give it an 8. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I dropped, I'll drop two points because there are times when I, I, I felt like I was, you know, just being sort of pulled through it for the sake of like, ah, uh, here's the context for this next epic space <laughs> battle. So I was just like, oh, just bring me to the space battle. And I was at the space battle and I really enjoyed the space battle. But they, um, yeah, they they have to do it. They have to do the build up for like, oh, yeah, okay, well here's yeah. this is going to happen now because uh, we actually both want to have the uh, the new race child yeah. for ourselves and and give them our values. It's just like two massive civilizations arguing over over child custody. Um, <laughs> yeah, very yeah, very very um, good, very droll. Yeah, so yeah. that's. Uh, I, I, I did enjoy it, so I'll, I'll give that the original movie an eight out of ten. Yeah, I mean it's a nine for me because I say it just as I think if you're a, a fan like me, and I think if you grew up with the '90s stuff, I think you know it does a lot of things very, very well. And and I've seen it a lot. Eternal Story, I've watched it an awful lot, and I never tire of watching it. I think it, you know, it really does push all my buttons. So it's a nine from me. So next up is Ghoul Force 2 Destruction. So this is a one-episode OVA from 1987. A brief synopsis, uh, this taken from ANN again. Uh, the war between Solnoids and Paranoids continues, but the conflict reaches a new height as both races complete their planet destroyers. This new technology 
wipes out several star systems, leaving only the ninth star system undamaged. As both races head toward it, a solenoid ship finds Luffy, an attacker cryogenically preserved inside an assault trooper among space debris. Reawakened, Luffy is invited to join a group of solenoids who are set to complete the original secret mission of her former crew. So, Destruction. What did you think of this one? Destruction was um, probably my least favorite. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, just because it just felt it felt a lot slower between. I enjoyed. Um, no, okay, that's unfair. No, it's not my least favorite at all. It's on a par. The um, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the pacing of it in the sense that, like, I was like, ah, Luffy's back because I was, I was yeah. assuming. Since she was going to get picked up, as soon as she got picked up and found in deep space along with the other debris, I was like, oh, so this is probably where it's going to lead into where the, the first movie left off and said, like, everyone's happy family on New Earth. <laughs> uh, but good God, was I wrong? Um, <laughs> but it's a nice little nod. It actually ties up a lot of loose ends. Um, it does. It does. Brings you into a new part of that universe, which is just as dramatic, but not as intense as the original yeah because uh, it feels like a it feels like a um, meanwhile um storyline yeah like you've, you've met the main, you've met the main fleet and it's like uh here's what's happening while they had their jump speed issue and they ended up in front of the um front of the flight forces big intergalactic um, mother arguing for custody is in this point yeah. in in time and luffy's just been incorporated back into it yeah um so, and that's that continues her character journey um, to becoming, you know, the redeemed uh, in that sense from her original sort of, I'm too much of a badass to give a crap about my <laughs> peers. Um, this is the one where I actually kind of liked Luffy a lot more um, yeah. and her position because I felt she was probably the strongest character in this one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. That's very true. Because, I mean, I think pacing-wise, I think it's, Okay, I think it's on a par with Eternal Story. It's only 45 minutes. It's quite a bit shorter than than Eternal mm. Story was. You know, it's a whole yeah. whole 40 odd, you know, nearly 40 minutes shorter. Mm. Um, so it kind of crams enough in into its story. It's it feels the right length for the story it was trying to tell in Destruction. I think you know the whole Destruction as well, coming from the System Destroyer they take out, and I think. Going to what we said about Eternal Story and the whole Cold War allegory, you know, you start off again with another really good epic space battle, and now the planet destroyers are here. Now these these mega weapons, which of course are the equivalent of the ICBMs that threaten mm. both sides in you know during the Cold War, and you know, and still still present a threat to humanity and survival on the planet. Mm. You know, so they've got these mega weapons, and they've now both destroyed each other's homeworlds. Yeah. Um, so you know, they've destroyed all these other systems, these other planets. So both both sides have now lost their homeworlds. Then they're just in this fight, and now the solenoids have come up with this mega weapon, Death Star. Anyone? Um, yeah. <laughs> we got Death Stars. Oh my God, Death Stars. Yeah, like loads of them, loads of Death Stars. Um, and then they you close know, and, off and, the back door. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they're going to use it to wipe out, to shoot a sun, and that's going to wipe out the whole system. 
Um, and it's going to take half their fleet with it, but it's going to take the whole paranoid fleet as well. But it just so happens this final system that's left, uh, you know, has um, chaos and terror on it. You know, where was it? Uh, Rumi and the the boy. I don't think he actually has a name. It, you know, are settled on the on the planet. So they managed to save that, which is I, I actually enjoyed this tie-in a lot because um, the whole the whole like I uh, will save the ninth system makes. Mm legitimate sense so that the whole it is it is an analogy of earth and the moon as well because the, yeah. the the one they destroy chaos and then terror is the one that's left yeah uh, and terror and chaos becomes the moon of, of terror yeah it's it's really well put together and once it gets past the the dregs of uh here's where we are now luffy's met all these people um and she's gonna again question catty because uh, yeah. android 17 from dragon ball z is at it again <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it, it was the right length. Yeah, right. and I think that's where it as a story works because it's got quite a clear, you know, the story's jumped ten years from Eternal Story. You get this character which can then carry on the story, so there's a bit of continuity character-wise because then you kind of get this second set of identikit crew. But you know, there's quite a clear story. You're now at this point where I say both sides have wiped each other out. They're on the the point of obliterating one another. There's his super weapon, and they stop the super weapon, and and it, and it just chips along and completes, and again mm. it's got quite a clear start, middle, and end, and it ends in quite you know wraps that story up. So again, I think if Stardust War hadn't come along, I think it kind of wraps it in a reasonable, but I think it's logical that there's a there's a next bit coming to this story. It does feel like a middle section of a of a three part story, more mm. so than how Eternal Story feels like a standalone, could be a standalone story. This very much feels like it's the middle part of something. But yeah, I think, again, animation, I think is really good. It's got that, just yeah. carries on that really high quality, all that detail, good music, you know, the suits, the mechs, the spaceships, all look really good. Journey actually appears in, the Solnoid Commander actually appears in this for the first time, but like you say, the projection of her face and the way it glitches, yeah, and that I, I love that design. I think that is just really, really neat mm. design. I really do. I, I, I think there's 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 little details like that all the way through it. Yeah, um, that I just sure. I can really, really just you know lap up every time I watch it. You know, I never tire of, of watching that. And and that's something I that kind of detail is something I I feel you don't really see in anime these days. I think it's something you saw in hand painted. Um, yeah, a bit of a lost, uh, lost love, labour of love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, the final showdown is, I think, is really good. Um, mm -hmm. You get through this a bit more of the backstory about the species unification plan because you kind of get a bit of the exposition dump from Catty to Luffy, who brings it yeah. up to speed with what happened on the Starleaf in Eternal Story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if there was a few gaps in there it kind of broadens that feels a little bit shoehorned in if i'm honest um, yeah yeah I, I i do feel like uh, that's why i do when I, I said at the start when i said it, it was like meanwhile um yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's there this one purely exists to add rhyme and reason to the punchy parts of the first movie yeah and it's just like oh, like oh this didn't destroy everything and why is that it's like well here's why because the a-team got involved <laughs> yeah um, yeah. yeah, and actually, the way you say the A-team, there is 
you know, we talked about some of the cheesy shots in Eternal Story. There's a bit when they've got onto Damia and they've got out their shoots and they're um, gearing up and, you know, yeah. they're clicking all the weapons together and <laughs> yeah, yeah. painting the face. And We haven't got time. And it's still yeah, like a, <laughs> you know, so there's that bit. And then there's a shot, there's a final shot of them all stood together posing with the weapons and then the, the ditzy one, Amy, um, yeah. you know, she sort of just sort of, scarpers in and jumps in at the corner of the shot and then you just it's a you know that stuff you know that's the sort of thing that really dates this yeah <laughs> but well, it's, it's quite it's, cheesy but it's like who who's the one who drafted all of these ships crews because they're just like a carbon copy paste <laughs> and like, you're like, you're like okay you're gonna be on here look like, why because you're the ditzy one you need to be on there we need the group leader who's gonna be the group leader and who's gonna be the spunky one and it's just like each yeah. and every single one of them is just like da 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 um, yeah, I mean, it's, but it's nice. It works. It's, it works, it's just, and it's, it's consistent. You know, it, it yeah. fits. It feels like a really logical, mm. um, consistent follow-up to Eternal Story. It doesn't feel like it's something that came a year later um, at all. You know, so um, that really works. You know, this whole thing about the the two sides and you know the whole planet destroyer. You know, I think it hits the Cold War and the pointlessness of war message. You know, the the anti-war message even stronger in this one than it did in Eternal Story. Um, yeah. I think it ham- I think it sort of hammers it home quite hard through this. I really do. I mean, it's very a very sort of prominent part of the story, you know, how 10 years later these sides are still developing bigger and more powerful and, you know, more dangerous weapons just to try and beat each other. Yeah. Um, I, I still enjoyed it. I mean, I'd still... I don't think it's quite, it's, it doesn't quite do as much as what Eternal Story does. It doesn't quite push the buttons the same, but I no. still think it's uh, still good. You know, I'd still give this an 8 out of 10. I'd still recommend seeing this. Uh, if yeah. you enjoyed Eternal Story, then I would definitely say then watch Destruction as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, rating out of 10 for you? Uh, this one, because I think it tied in nicely, I'm going to give it, a, I'll give it another 8. Yeah. Because I still I feel like it's like uh, the director's cut of the first movie. Okay. Yeah. If if, if they were to chop in, because the thing of the first movie it, it it trucked along and each scene was separated with an establishing shot, but still went into the same group of characters. Yeah. Um, it yeah. rarely ever deviated. I feel like if you spliced up a destruction into it in a sensible timeline, you'd have a very long movie, but you'd have a very complete movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you'd have like you'd have a reason to jump and add gravity and gravitas to the, to the situations and and understand the, each character's struggles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think eight out of ten. Okay. Finally, we come on to Ghoul Force 3 Stardust War. So this was another one-episode OVA from 1988. Brief synopsis from ANN. The remaining forces of the Solenoid and Paranoid races now head towards Sigma Nars, a forgotten star system with a dying red giant for their final confrontation. 
The crew of the five Solnoids who survived the battle at the Night Star System are sent to meet Captain Nebula, head of intelligence, who appears to be the last hope for both races. So, we get to the final part of the story, Lewis. Indeed we do. So, this one is a direct continuation from Destruction. Destruction. So, the battle's over after having diverted Damia from destroying the the sun at the end of Destruction. They're now on a ship heading towards this other um, system. Now, it's the Stardust War. The the name is very apt because it's obviously that the whole point is they've literally, they're fighting over nothing at this point. They're fighting over Stardust. Uh, they're in the final system uh, that hasn't been completely destroyed or left left for dead. Yeah. And there's nothing there. There's no strategic advantage. They say it themselves. There's no strategic advantage to this place. It's just a desolate landscape for us to finally destroy each other. Yeah. And uh, and that's like, that's that's fine. Uh, my only issue is skip halfway through it because if you just want to get to a really cool space battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my biggest problem with Stardust War. You know, it starts off, and when they get to Sigma Nars and they get on that ship and they meet Captain Nebula, you then get half an hour of exposition explaining the whole universe, the whole thing behind the species unification plan. You know, it really does. I mean, it literally spends, it's a 60-minute anime, 58 minutes or something like that, and it literally spends about 25 minutes talking through all of that. Catty's involvement, why she was on, why the duplicates. You see Mm. she's a, a replicant of... Captain Nebula, which is again, which is another thing that harks back to the Alien series, and you know, um, mm-hmm. the, the androids just a mirror of its creator. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole origins of the Solnoid race, um, and yeah. the, unfortunately, I think that just slows where it the does. previous two have been a really good pace. The first half of this, it just slows it down too much. Yeah. It really does. Well, it just regurgitates what we already knew. We yeah. didn't need to meet. We didn't need to meet her. Because no. we already know about her from from destruction, uh, the, the the mother of the androids. We don't need to meet her because we already know about her from, from yeah. destruction. We don't need to delve into the the, the history of the Solonids for for fifteen minutes. Yeah. For them just to tell us what we already understand from thirty seconds of them talking. Yeah. About oh yeah, but we came about the same way because we we were a created race as well, and they were like oh, but that's just a legend, and it's just like oh, is it? Yeah. Is it question mark? Yeah. And uh, and you're like, okay, I get it. So it's probably not a legend. So you're doing the exact same thing. All right, cool. Now uh, move it along. But they spend ages there trying yeah. to coax it out of a computer that's like, ah, no, man, you don't have the right clearance. <laughs> and it's, oh, God, mother of God. So, yeah. Yeah, the whole dredge. computer is this, oh, you know, this sort of grand. I mean, it looks really, really 80s supercomputer. Oh, yeah, I was expecting them to walk into that hole, like, when everything lights us up, and I was yeah. like, that's sick. But I was yeah. expecting Professor X to turn around in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, Elysian, the supercomputer, which is a really 80s supercomputer. Yeah. Um, the thing is, that, that whole 25 minutes of exposition could be done in five, and yeah. just tell you the same amount and be done better and not spoil the flow of the story at all. Yeah. And like you say, it, the last half of it goes back to being really good, Super sweet. Yeah. yeah, you know, epic space battle and fight for survival, you know, and continues the story on really well through the through the last half. It's just a real shame, you know. Mm. Yeah, it tries to make a point as well, doesn't it, when they're preaching to, to the Solonid uh, leader and to, um, is it her name, Journey? Yeah, the leader, Journey, yeah. 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 Uh, they're, they're preaching to her and the um, paranoid leader. 
yeah. to, to, to end this madness because they're effectively fighting over stardust. There's nothing here. There's no reason for us to do this. Yeah. And they think about it and they're like, nah, mate. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then fire that fires in his house. Yeah. Um, so that's, it just goes into, yeah, I get it. You're making a point. Because um, at this point now, they are literally just fighting to beat each other. Yeah. You know, and, you know, when they say Stardust, you know, everything's reduced to Stardust. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's, it's pointless. There's there's no point to this war anymore. All they, mm. all that's left is to defeat each other. And then one of them will win with nothing. You know, and again, the whole Cold War allegory, you know, both sides, one side could win. But who wins a nuclear war? No one, because yeah. ultimately there's nothing left. And it just it really, again, reinforces that whole anti-war story um, yeah. feeling yeah. behind it. Because I think it, towards the beginning, when they when they get to Sigma Nas and there's that dying sun and the mm. colour that it, you know, it's very red. Yeah, and they're still at a window looking in it. And it, it sort of floods everything in this gaudy red colour. Mm. I, I quite like that scene because I, I think it sets a really bleak tone. You know, and 100%. I think the whole tone of the war and the series and the pointlessness, you know, this is, I, I love the way it just, yeah, it depicts it. I mean, I think it does it perfectly in like a minute. And that's a really, mm. really good example of animation and feeling and colour. Yeah, and... a complete understanding of, of how it, how our composition and scene works. Like, yeah. that's, that's where it needed to be like, oh, god because you get that feeling 100 percent. you're dead right you get that feeling as soon as you see it it's just like a dying star for a die two dying civilizations yeah. to yeah. end everything on yeah and it's like this is a powerful moment but hang on let's cut away so we can talk about our ancestors like, oh, yeah just... yeah and then it does that and you know and, it, and then it just ruins it having built that tension up and mm. and set everything up it then yeah then just just kind of destroys it yeah it's a real shame during this one, they even mentioned mutually assured destruction, you know, which was the whole thing of the Cold War, which is why the Third World War never happened, you know, because it's like no one, no one wins it. You know, they even, they even state that in this as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's literally the, the Cold War or the pointlessness of the Cold War depicted in a space battle. So it carries on. And I, again, I think it's a really good ending, the way they sort of no one survives. They fire the capsule off and the way it then they sort of maybe kickstart another civilization, you know, mm. will help because it, you know, that capsule gets to earth where it would have been sort of about now, you know, in the, in the 21st century. So I think, I think I think it quite like the way it kind of passes that on, but you can end it at that point. It's like a, a really nice. What if, what, mm. what could happen now that this race, this probe has reached this other civilization? Cause I get it that Terra, and chaos have now become the earth and moon. You could read it like that. Yeah, yeah. Millennia in the future. So from uh, Rumi and the boy and their children, because you see them, because that's another scene I quite like. You see them on the planet. I can't remember if that's in destruction, but I know that's it's in destruction. It's in destruction, isn't it? You know, that bit. Um, is it, is I, it? Oh, I can't remember now. Uh, yeah. But anyway, you know, they're unaware of what's going on around them. And then the mm. fact that, you know, terror became Earth, and then this probe eventually reaches them, and then maybe kickstarts something yeah, else, or tells them of their history. You know that that kind of again, like at the end of Eternal Story, that the way it ends. You know, you can interpret it in many different ways. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, sure. I quite like the way way that ends. I, I think that's quite a, a nice nice way to do it because it kind of fits with the whole thing about civilizations starting other civilizations. 
Yeah. Um, Passing yeah, the baton. Passing the baton. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I, I thought it was, it was good. Um, a, a nice way to end it. Of the three, I think it, unfortunately, because of the exposition through the first half, it's the weakest of the three. You know, I'd give this a seven for that basis. Mm. I think if it was like a forty-minute, forty-five-minute one, and they'd redone the the first half of the OVA, I think it would it would still score an eight. Um, yeah. But as it as it stands, yeah, it's a seven. I still recommend it, but it's just a bit unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. I'd give it. I I would also give it a seven. I would give it a six, but the uh, complete epicness of the final but fight is yeah, it bumps up, absolutely. It bumps up point, yeah. yeah, it's just outrageous. And yeah, it is, and it's a really, and that's what Gulf Force does really well. This this whole trilogy, you mm. know, really, really epic space battle and a really, really epic story through space. Um, and I think Stardust War ultimately does wrap up the story quite well. The whole arc across the trilogy, I think, really works as a continuous story. I think it benefits from a rewatch as well, if I'm honest. Having because I watched it all three twice on this, and having watched it and then watched it again. You know, I, I would say having seen it all, go back and watch it again at some point. I think it, I think it definitely benefits from that. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, I think that pretty much wraps up our, our review. I, I mean, I, I think it's a good, I think it's a good little time capsule from the late '80s. Definitely a recommendation for me. Yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed pretty much all of it. Like, it, it was a bit of a slog uh, at some points. Um, and I like the, some of the dated parts have me a little bit less interested, but no, as for like just appreciating it for for a work of art and yeah. the hard graft and actually having a, a fairly comprehensive detailed story yeah. that doesn't sort of that doesn't really try to overcompensate itself. It's uh, no, it's nice. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was quite surprised you've, you've liked it more than I thought you would. I wasn't I wasn't quite sure what you'd see of it because like I said I do think it is in places quite dated. Um, mm. But there's plenty of other stuff that that more than compensates for it, I think. So yeah, yeah. There's an interesting character play there. Um, yeah, I was I was very unsure of it in the first half hour of the movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, of the characters anyway. But then the action sort of picked me up, and I started understanding them and um, yeah. and all of that crack. So that was it was yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Cool. Good. So that wraps up our reviews for this, the first part of our Ghoul Force retrospective. I uh, say the second part uh, will come in sort of maybe four, five, six episodes time. Next episode, we're going to look at a couple of OVAs from 1987. We're going to look at Twilight Q and Love Position, The Legend of Halley. Right, where you can find us? You can find us on Twitter at RetroAnime. You can find the podcast on Stitcher iTunes, TuneIn, Overcast FM, CastBox, PocketCast, Podcast Addict, all of those. Just search for Retro Anime Podcast. 
the website you can find us on retroanimepodcast.com we have an email address ian at retroanimepodcast.com and you can find me on the anime uk news forums my username is organ and that is us done for today all right lewis a really good discussion on ghoul force indeed and um, we've come to the interesting conclusion that it could be summarized as two intergalactic uh, space civilizations fight over child custody yeah that's yeah. that is the tagline so mm-hmm. uh yeah i was i was gonna I had a title for this episode already defined, but um, I'm going to change it now. So, um, <laughs> what was your title? Well, I was going to call it um, "Ghouls Just Want to Have Fun," but oh, but, that's very good. That's very catchy. Yeah, but I quite—I I don't know. I, so just include it in the synopsis. Now, do girls go, uh, just just want to have fun? Because that's that's definitely a much more apt. But just throw that in as a little tagline. Yeah, uh, but yeah, cool. definitely in the episode description. Yeah, uh, in, a, in an epic intergalactic battle over child custody. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'll start. I'll start this episode description with that because I really like that as well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great All stuff. Right, well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening and supporting us so far. Yeah, please do. Yeah, we get you know getting good traffic, we're getting a lot of listeners, getting a lot of new listeners, and we're getting some good reviews. So yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We do appreciate it. We, you don't have to listen to this podcast, but a lot of people do. So we're very thankful for that. We enjoy doing it. So we appreciate the uh, the positive comments we've, we have on it and, and that people are enjoying it. So thank you very much, everybody. So until next time, Lewis, take it easy. And goodbye from me. Bye, everybody.